It is the 200 level episode 77, something to do with Kofi or maybe our guest Steve Greenberg. I'll decide that after I get done publishing this podcast. But, you know, I didn't figure just two days after the last one where we talked about Isaac Ambrose and I was talking about next year's roster, assuming that Kofi Coburn was going to be a centerpiece on that team, that we would have news like we got yesterday. That would have been Tuesday, April 7th. I know all the days are kind of running into each other, but it was not good news if you were a Lanai fan. And by no means is it 100% official because, yes, you know, any athlete could even hire an agent at this point and still come back. But unfortunately, if you look at the wording of that message, it seems very much hey, thanks for everything. I'm out of here. So we got to talk about Kofi. We got to talk about the impact it would have on next year's roster and a few other sports things as well, including a proposal for Major League Baseball that while it excites me, uh, the, the part of me that wants baseball or any sort of live sports to be back in my life, it also is a little bit, huh? It's a little bit Orwellian almost. We'll get to that here in a second. But a reminder that the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. And if you're a Champaign-Urbana resident, they deliver anywhere anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So go online to dpdoe.com. They're still serving up fresh calzones, and you can either pick it up or get it delivered, dpdoe.com. Also, 4th and Kirby, online at 4th and Kirby.com. Use coupon code 200 level or the 200 level. They got great vintage-inspired Illini apparel. I got a few t-shirts myself, and as we get into warmer weather, like today, unbelievable day, it's t-shirt weather. So why not go to fourthandkirby.com, use that coupon code 200 level for 10% off some really cool Illini swag. Also, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. All their representatives are local. So not only are they insurance experts, but they have your local interest at heart. That is brianismyguy.com for life, auto, home, renters, you name it. Brian Hansen, State Farm agent, brianismyguy.com. Okay. Kofi Coburn announces yesterday that he is declaring for the NBA draft. Now, for full context, I think it is important to read the whole message because, listen, a lot of people this time of the year are announcing their intentions to get into the NBA draft, and not many of them in these messages are saying, oh, by the way, I very well may come back. That's the unspoken part in most of these, but I did think the wording in Kofi's message on Instagram, delivered via his Instagram page, was something to take into consideration. So here is the announcement. To begin, I would like to thank God for giving me the opportunity to live out my dream and play this wonderful game that I love so much. Thank you to my coaches and mentors for taking a chance on me and guiding me on this journey. To my family, I can't thank you enough for the love and guidance. Without it, I don't know where I'd be. Okay, yada, yada, yada. Here we go. To Illini Nation, what a road it's been. Thank you for welcoming me with open arms. You guys made this journey all the more special game after game. You filled the arena showing us what true unconditional sport is. Ever since I began playing basketball, a fire has been lit inside me, which I knew I had to pursue to the fullest extent. With that being said, I have decided to declare for the 2020 NBA draft. Embarking on this new journey is something I've always dreamt of, and I have a special love for everyone who's helped me get here. Okay, now keep in mind, and I know we're parsing words here a little bit, I have decided to declare, not enter, declare. And the differentiation there is that there is a lot of guys declaring for the draft that are going through that exploratory phase, and that very well might be what Kofi is doing himself. This is someone that is not on draft boards. Io, mid-late second round in a lot of these. He's actually there, and we're even questioning, well, maybe he might take a second look and come back to Illinois. Kofi, the reason that a lot of people assumed, myself included, that he was going to come back is that his game does not immediately translate to the NBA. But let's not forget that his measurables are off the charts. We see it. 
game in, game out, that this guy is a seven foot two, three hundred pound monster with a seven foot five wings wingspan, already was dominating many other bigs that were two, three years older than he was. And when you look at the last game of the year, what he did against Luca Garza, and yeah, Luca got his. Kofi showed that he belonged and I figured well what a great stepping stone into next year when he and Luca Garza may be the two towers in the Big Ten and potentially leading their teams on a charge for a Big Ten title with or without Io. but yeah all these assumptions we made about next year's roster myself included who just last podcast said that next year's roster while different and while missing Io, Andres Feliz and Alan Griffin could maybe find their way to be in a more consistent and better team based on their strengths, right? Their shooting ability, their length. That was all presupposing that Kofi would be at the middle of it. So yesterday, it was a beautiful day, 80 degrees, sunny outside. I was finding any excuse to do things outdoors, you know, just poking around, picking up sticks, doesn't matter. I'm outside. And I then get the news across Twitter that Kofi declares the NBA draft. Someone said emergency pod. I said, no, man, I'm staying outside, but we'll, we'll get to this soon rather than later. So here on this Wednesday morning, about you know 18 hours since that announcement was made and kind of stewing on it for a little bit, I am sort of like Austin Berkland, who tweeted out yesterday, producer of the Jeremy Warner Show, not as freaked out about it. Now, there's two reasons why I'm not quite as freaked out about this news as I was when it initially came across. One, the more and more I think about it, it would be silly in this crazy time, especially to not consider if you're Kofi looking into the NBA draft. And that's all that this may be. It may simply be exploratory. He didn't use that word. He didn't say, hey, I'm just going to talk to a few people, see where I'm at, but in all likelihood, I'm going to come back. No, that's not an Instagram announcement anyone's going to make. And it doesn't preclude him from two, three months from now saying, after exploring my options, I've decided to come back to Illinois for uh, my sophomore season. I can't wait to get back up with the fellas, yada, yada. Okay, We could easily get something like that two, three months from now. So it makes sense for someone with that size who will be, I think, in the league at some point. There's no doubt. And I would think there would be a team that would take a flyer on someone with that size and with that skill set as raw as he is. It's pretty remarkable how well put together he is as a basketball player, not just a specimen, but a basketball player. But the timing of it as well, right, with this pandemic situation going on. And this is the other part why I am not freaking out all that much. First off, will there be a season, you know, and that's that's the speculation that just sucks with sports right now, is we go through this runaround of personnel moves and roster changes, and it may be completely irrelevant and may not matter because there may not be seasons for who knows how long, right? Now, I got to think that college basketball, because it's in November, that there will be some way that they can pull that off, right? As long as our government and health officials figure out a plan to start opening things up. I don't understand why you couldn't have five guys on one side, five guys on another playing a game of basketball, even if it's in an empty arena in the month of November. Let's hope, right? But that's what really clouds reactions and emotions to things like this, where normally we would be flipping out. And if you are flipping out, that's okay. Because I don't want to env envision a world where next year's Illini roster doesn't have Kofi Coburn at center, and instead we're playing Georgie 30 minutes a game again. I don't necessarily want that. No one does. When you know that the alternative would be a roster that will be top half of the Big Ten again and would make the tournament as long as another pandemic doesn't sweep through. But out of all of this, you know, next year's roster and how good they are is certainly a concern. 
I want to be looking forward to Illini basketball, which I was even after Alan Griffin made that announcement. I still thought, and I don't think I was just talking myself into this, I still thought there was enough on that roster and that the wing position would get enough production where you'd be okay. And there will likely be a grad transfer or two added to this roster. And you mix in the fact that we don't know what Iowa's going to do yet. We have an idea, but there is a chance, right? There is a chance. But what really, I think, stuck in my craw, to borrow an old expression, more than anything with next year's roster, is the idea that we might be looking at the 2019-20 Illini basketball season in this weird bubble, its own random 30-game, whatever that was, and it just ended. And we won't be able to look back and really give it a proper legacy. It will just be this sort of blip, a fun blip for sure, and then all of a sudden, all your key players are gone. Io, Allen, Andres Feliz, Kofi. You get Trent back. You get some good recruits in. DeMonte, I love DeMonte, Georgie, whatever. That's great. But think about that, though. You go through this really memorable season, especially the Big Ten portion of it, right? Because let's not forget November, December. Someone tried to call me out on that on Twitter yesterday. Well, this is the same guy that said this Illini team stunk in November and December. They did. So... <laughs> Just call it as I saw it. But January, February, and the couple games in March, right? The two home games in March, at least. That was one of the more fun Illini basketball stretches in my lifetime. Not just within the last decade. That, that's easy to do, given the low bar that was set at the end of the Weber era, in the John Gross era, and in the first two years of Underwood. Low bar there. But in my 33 years, there have been few Big Ten stretches that have been as fun as what we saw. So the idea that it's just a one-and-done no tournament appearance, which I reconciled that a while ago, but it all started to kind of snowball into this, well, what the hell was that? You know, we don't get to enjoy that the same way that I could look back on the 2001 team as I talked to Corey Bradford last week, the way that I can sort of compartmentalize these memories and identify, oh, right, the 99 Big Ten tournament run knowing what it led to, right? And, and a lot of these things, when I look back at my favorite Illini memories, there's a payoff at the end of it, right? Um, if you look at the 99 Big Ten tournament run, for example, that was a precursor to the most successful stretch of Illini basketball, about a five, six-year stretch there. And what I was hoping for what we saw this year and what it felt like when we were in the middle of it in January and February was the beginning of a new extended stretch of success, because, yeah, you were probably going to lose Io, and you were going to lose Andres Feliz. But everything else seemed right there for you. And you're bringing in Andre Curbelo and Adam Miller. And a lot of us, as we were looking at that roster back in mid-February, once, you know, Io came back, you beat Penn State, and you were starting to write the ship again. It felt like, well, you know, this is fun as it is, but the great thing is that we have set ourselves up for the next three, four years. I still think you're in position to have done that. I think the key guy here out of all of it is Andre Crabella, which, boy, am I continuing to lump on expectations to this one guy, which may or may not be fair, of an 18-year-old who hasn't played one game of college basketball yet. But I'm continuing to put those crazy expectations on him. And, boy, oh, boy, does it look like Adam Miller. If there was any concern about him getting playing time here, I mean, not that the Kofi uh, move would make much of a difference, but he is going to be a starter next year. So you can, I think, rest easy on that. Though it's also, as an Illini fan, when we've seen the shoe fall or the shoe drop before, it seems like they all happen in succession. It's not just one hit. It's four or five. And as Trevor had tweeted out yesterday, and I agree with this to an extent, he said, 
you know, in my head, I had an arbitrary number that our offseason for Illinois basketball was like at a plus five, even with IO leaving. And then all of a sudden we're at like a zero or plus one. And that's a really good way to put it. We all assume that Iowa was going to leave. We haven't gotten word on that yet. Maybe we get great news here the next week or two that Iowa says, listen, I'm coming back for one more year. And I don't think that would hurt the case for Kofi to come back either. Maybe we get that and we can reverse that trend. But as an Illini fan, it's hard not to feel like there are just constant little, what, death by a thousand paper cuts. But losing a guy like Kofi is not a paper cut. I mean, that's a big old haymaker to the face. And that's why the news when it came out, even after you unpack it, the news when it came out was definitely a gut punch. Because in a world without sports, you're looking forward to what is coming up down the pike. And that was the big one. Baseball, sure, but we don't know if that's even going to happen. But it really felt like college basketball, and it still feels like it'll be back and probably on time. And that we were going to be a player. Right, Even if the media thought, well, Io's gone, so they might be okay. I think we all knew around here that as long as Kofi's back and you bring in the new guards and you got the wing players and you got guys like DeMonte, Georgie, whatever, you would figure out a roster good enough to be top half of the Big Ten in the tournament for sure and that we continue to keep this thing rolling. That's a little bit in limbo right now. Here is the silver lining, though. You put guys in the pros, there will be a payoff for that. If Io and Kofi both get drafted this year, there is a payoff, and it may not be immediate, but it will pay off as long as Underwood and Antigua and Gentry and these guys do their part, Chin Coleman. I I do like this coaching staff. I, I like the fact that they each seem to fill a different role. They have their own niches in terms of what they recruit best. You got Gentry as sort of the brilliant X and O's tax, tactician, and you got Underwood that seemingly has found a groove with recruiting, finding his guys, finding them rather quickly. So I think ultimately it will be okay, though I don't want to take too big of a hit in year four of Underwood. I want it to be at a point where you can kind of keep rolling as you continue to build recruiting momentum. That's where it felt like it was going to be before this Kofi announcement. Ultimately, does Kofi go pro? We don't know. You know, and when you read NBA experts saying, well, he's not on any draft board, but they also acknowledge the fact that he's big and strong. He's an athlete. He's raw, but you look at his freshman year numbers, he's also skilled. A team could take a flyer on him, and that might be enough for Kofi to take that chance. This is where the whole pandemics thing just throws the old rule book out the window. Because what I thought was going to be advantageous in keeping Kofi for sure, and maybe making Io ask himself a second or third time, should I do this? Well, maybe it's the opposite. Maybe a situation like this is only going to force the hand of guys that say, listen, I've done what I need to do at this level. I got nothing more to prove. And I better go get that money now. And I can't blame anybody because when you are in an uncertain time, and I can't really speak for an 18, 19-year-old, I got to think their perspective of this is a little bit different. But maybe it's the opposite impact of, hey, just take your time, wait it out, go back to school. Maybe it's jump. Make the jump now. Get your money. Do what you got to do. The... Unintended consequences is a kind of phrase I keep going back to with this COVID-19 thing. And from a sports perspective, it seems to rear its ugly head time and time again. Whether it had any impact on Kofi, I don't know. I'd put it at maybe 10%. If you had a pie chart of here is why Kofi decided to declare 
from the NBA draft, maybe 10% of that had anything to do with what's going on now. He might have had his mind made up a long time ago, regardless of draft boards. But without a combine, without teams being able to see him in person, and the fact we don't even know when the NBA draft is, or the fact that they might change the deadlines, the NCAA may have to change the deadlines of when a player would have to remove their name from the draft in order to come back to school. All these things are in flux. So for me, looking forward, what do I need to see from Illini basketball to start feeling good again? Well, I think you need to secure a stretch for grad transfer. So that would be Johnson from Western Michigan. That would be Scott from Ryder. Get one of those guys. And you continue to add length and shooting ability to this team. And a stretch four is something that this team was sorely missing last year. That would have been a huge piece to the puzzle. Bring in a stretch four. Coupled with your 22-year-old small forwards that both have two years of eligibility remaining. And your guards, which are Andre Corbello, Adam Miller, Trent Frazier. And DeMonte. I'll throw DeMonte in there as well. I mean, that's okay. We can work with that. There's a lot of unknowns. But it is a decent collection of talent. Certainly better than what you had the first and second year with Brad Underwood. So, talent upgrade. It's there as long as all the reports about these two <laughs> these two small forward transfers. I, I texted Isaac and Trevor yesterday that, hey guys, it's okay. We have the best freaking transfers ever. And I was referring to Hutcherson and Granderson. Grandison, excuse me. You know, tongue in cheek, because we are, myself included, lumping a lot of praise on guys that we haven't seen yet based on what we're getting from the coaching staff and the people inside, that these guys are ready to go and they're going to be immediate impact players, not stars, but just good Big Ten players is what we're kind of banking on, right? That may be premature to think that way, but God dang it, you know, people have accused me of being a pessimist, certainly a cynic. And I'm thinking, you know, when Illini basketball is good, I am the biggest optimist around. I feel like we are invincible. I get those orange colored glasses on again, and I'm finding the silver linings in everything. I know for a fact that there have been many times that Mark Smith being the most recent example, that I get so excited about a recruit coming in, uh, some new guy, some new shiny toy, and it doesn't quite pan out. But it does seem when you look at the way that Underwood, and we, we need to talk to Steve Breitweiser about this, which I'm working on that. We'll get Steve on the show. But he had said back in August that the one thing Underwood was doing was identifying his guys and just going out and getting them, which is completely antithetical to what Gross and Weber were doing. He's identifying what he wants, he brings them in. And those two small forwards are indicative of that. You still have transfers on the market, grad transfers especially, that could play immediately this year. And here's one more thing to consider if Kofi leaves. And from their perspective over there, they probably want to know for sure, Kofi, are you going or you're staying? Because I think their sales job to get a center would be a lot easier after what Kofi did this last year. I'm talking a grad transfer center. Don't know who that would be. I'd have to look at all the different grad transfers available. Matt Harns, I mean, fine, I guess. I don't think he would transfer within the conference, but you know there's centers out there. Now, Mike Thorne Jr. is the most recent example of a center that you got via the grad transfer market. You know, he was fine. Obviously, he had injury problems. He was not exactly the fastest guy on the court. But there are guys out there that you would be able to sell a starting spot to. I mean, no offense to Georgie, but the way that he played last year, you would still be able to go out and tell a center, grad transfer, you are starting from day one. That's not a bad deal for someone that would look at a roster that still has talent around it. Uh, though, 
I do wonder part of the sales job saying, hey, we got this freshman, Andre Corbello. We got this freshman, Adam Miller. You wonder if other guys are looking at this program and saying, well, they probably lose Io, they probably lose Kofi, they lose Alan Griffin, they lose Andres Feliz, they lose four of their top five scores. Wouldn't they be a little bit leery of that? I don't know. I don't know. I, I hope that that would be a sales pitch that this coaching staff could overcome, and maybe it would be. So a lot to consider with Kofi. I think that you know we could be waking up two months from now and Kofi's back. Whew, no harm, no foul. And the IO situation is certainly one to follow now as well. No word out of his camp yet. And I'm waiting for the afternoon. I'm out there doing yard work or putzing around the house trying to waste some time for that announcement from Iowa. I'd have to go back and look on Twitter when he posted his I'm coming back video or unfinished business thing, which got everyone pumped up last year and see if that is maybe the same sort of timeline he would go with this. But, you know, for him, for Kofi, exploring the NBA draft makes total sense. Io actually going to the NBA makes that much more sense because that's the entire context on which his Alani career was built. I'm going pro. And I know that Kofi, he told Brett Barons this in an interview last year. I'd love to be a one and done. Nothing wrong with that. And he played good enough to be a one and done in terms of production, all of that. It's just, if this were 1995, he's a top 15 pick. In this NBA, that sort of bruiser down low, you don't always see that. And I love Kofi, and I'm not trying to talk him out of it. If he can go get his and find a roster to stick on and eventually get up to that you know, starting role, which I think he ultimately would with that size, uh, you have seen moments his freshman year where he was getting a little beat up by opposing centers. And did it happen much? No, not, not a ton. But there were enough games where Kofi did have freshman moments. Can he get out of that? Can he grow out of that? Certainly. I thought the natural path for him was going to be coming back a sophomore year, being absolutely dominant, and then securing the fact that, yeah, I might not be the orthodox center in today's NBA world, but I'm good enough, big enough, certainly, and skilled enough to be an immediate impact. I thought that sophomore year was going to solidify that. It might still do that. Let's hope so for Alani fans' sake. But hey, if Kofi goes pro, all the power to him. And then it's up to this staff to parlay that into either a grad transfer or a big-time center recruit to come in, I guess, in 2021. Because I don't know how many blue-chip centers are sitting out there in mid-April before they enroll in November. All that said, we don't know with sports. We don't know the timeline. We don't know when it'll be back. We don't know how it'll be back, what rules will change, what deadlines will change. So all of this, you know, we come down here, I say we, I come down here, hit record, talking to a microphone, knowing full well that what I record one day can easily become null and void within a span of a few hours. So I'm glad that Kofi waited at least, you know, 36 hours between when I did the podcast with Isaac and was talking heaping praise on what I thought was going to be a different but really good Alani roster next year. And then Kofi makes his announcement. Certainly that can revert back to Kofi's on this team and all as well. Io, man, we could use some good news right now. As the Alani fan base being selfish, we could really use some good news. Okay, so now that we got this interview capability, we are going to be stretching it out. We got Steve Greenberg coming up in about 10 minutes. Next week, I hope, to get Casey Boguslaw on the show and talk about baseball. That was something I wanted to address real quick today because this whole proposal for Major League Baseball, this idea to begin ramping up spring training in like mid-May, getting games started in June-ish, and to have all 30 teams in Arizona. 
using the spring training stadiums and then I think was it Bank of America Field, wherever the Diamondbacks play, playing seven inning doubleheaders, playing three games a day at the Diamondbacks Stadium, but basically having 30 teams and all their support staff, all the players and coaching staff sequestered into essentially quarantine. And this is all predicated on the idea that you would have enough testing, rapid testing, to ensure that anyone that takes the field is coronavirus-free. Now, it would be silly of me to pretend that I didn't get excited. I think a lot of us did. Just the notion that we could be watching baseball in the span of a month or two. Even if it's spring training baseball, are you kidding me? The ratings for the first spring training baseball game, if they got started in May? you know, From a sports fan perspective... It's hard not to get excited about something like that. But also, you take a step back, just like the Kofi thing, you take a step back and you're like, well, wait, let's unpack this a bit. The baseball thing, this plan, is credit to, I guess, Major League Baseball that they're trying to be ambitious and think of any way to get these games in. The player reaction seems to be mixed, though, leaning on the side of, yeah, well, we want to get back out there. But it's also, at the end of the day, a very sort of Orwellian kind of dystopian way to play baseball. And I know Trevor has said this, and there there probably is a lot of truth in it that I hadn't considered until I saw this baseball proposal. If you aren't going to do it right, meaning the season, why do it at all? That's beginning to make a little more sense to me as I look at a proposal where you'd have 30 teams. So let's say what, there's 25 players per team. Maybe they go 40 deep or 30 deep. They'd probably have to come up with something like that in case of injury. You have all the spring training parks. You've got plenty of space in hotels to keep these guys, obviously. It would be a relatively controlled environment, but still enough people that can you ensure that everyone that's stepping on a field doesn't have COVID-19 and can't spread it easily to another player? And then before you know it, three weeks into the Major League Baseball revised schedule, you got to shut it down again because of a COVID-19 outbreak amongst your players. And the idea that they would be away from their family, uh, I'm guessing, right, that they would be away from family and friends and just, you're over here, you're in this hotel room or you're at the ballpark and that's it. Seems like a fairly dark kind of existence for a game that should be nice, light, happy, fun, right? Certainly the reality that Major League Baseball players face in the amount of travel, 81 games a year on the road. So at least 81 nights on the road away from the family. But knowing that they would easily get back home and be able to live their normal lives. I think the one component that this isn't really taking into account is that family aspect. And I'd have to go back and look closely to see in the fine print, well, does this initial proposal allow families to stay in the hotel rooms with the players? But I don't know if that would make much sense in the midst of a pandemic, knowing how quickly this thing can transmit. So on one hand, I want it back. I think all of us want it back. When I saw that golf released their revised schedule for the fall, I think there's no British Open, but you got the Masters in November, whatever, I'm going to watch it. And and I see these things rescheduled, and even knowing that the Masters isn't until November, I'm excited because it's a signal to me that, yes, things will return to normal. And if Major League Baseball came out and said that, well, we're starting in August, okay, bummer that we got to wait that long, but it would be a signal to me that, yes, things will return to normal. But the problem is when you get all these health experts saying essentially the return to normal isn't what normal was before this thing broke out. A new normal is going to include rampant testing and tracking. And then you start getting into even more Orwellian 1984 sort of stuff here. 
with the idea that you're going to be tracking via GPS who might have it or who already has it. Does someone in your neighborhood have COVID-19? Do schools immediately shut down when one student has it or not? And here we are trying to organize 30 teams and probably a good 60 people. I mean, I'm thinking about minimum operations for each of these teams. 60 times 30, you're looking at 1,800 to 2,000 people sequestered in hotel rooms in Arizona. And then you add in the, I guess, media component, people actually carrying these games. I, I don't know. That seems like a lot of logistics to jump through in order to play a sort of bastardized season of shortened games, certainly not 162 games. I don't know. It's uh, on one hand exciting, on the other hand, a little bit unsettling to think of what that would be like if you were a Major League Baseball player and you are, let's be honest, forced back into work. Hey guys, we're going to start the season. And certainly the players union will have something to say about that. But there are going to be guys that are just not comfortable in that situation, that will be forced into it, playing in front of nobody at you know the Tucson Spring Training Ballpark or whatever, for what? For our entertainment, I guess, for their money as a league, and ensure that they're getting their paychecks. So listen, the world's smallest violin playing for these guys in the midst of a deadly pandemic. I get that. But it seems like if you're going to do it, let's try to do it right. And this seems like square peg round hole. As more details come out, though, I mean, certainly I can be swayed. And if you say right now, hey, Carp, sorry, they've already decided they're coming back mid-May, spring training, and then games in June, I'd say, well, okay, let's go. Go Yankees. You know, 100-game schedule, whatever. I, I like the fact that Aaron Judge is going to be fully healthy again, Giancarlo Stanton. This little break here is purely selfish talk coming from me right now, but this little break here is actually great for this Yankees roster that had all these injury issues that were plaguing them before the season even started. Man, I would love some sports back. We all would. This podcast has basically become a speculative thing. We're just speculating when things will return and what it might look like. And that's all we can do right now. And there's something dangerous in that saying, well, I think it might be this and I think it might be that because by no means am I an expert. I would not pretend to be. But in the midst of all this speculation, how badly I want to get back to just talking about games. That's why it's so weird that when Kofi made that announcement yesterday, I thought that sucks. And then the other part of me said, well, now I got something to talk about. Well, listen, I would prefer not to talk about that. I'd prefer to talk about games. And then on top of that, continue to wax poetic about the virtues of next year's Illini basketball roster and how great they are with Kofi down low. And uh, you, you get the point. Okay, so here's what we got. I'm really excited for this. Steve Greenberg would join us on 93.5 quite a bit. He's a columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times. And part of what I really enjoyed having Steve on the show back in the day was, for me, downstate, there's a lot of ire from downstate Illini fans towards the Chicago media, the monolithic Chicago media that's always out to get Illini sports. And yeah, listen, as much as I like Dan Bernstein, he can be a total smartass with Illini sports, though we gave him plenty of reason to for quite a while. But with Steve, he strikes me as someone that is sort of bemused by all of that kind of outside noise. He has a lot of fun uh, with the interactions that he might have with fans that I've seen on Twitter. I think he keeps a good sense of humor about all that sort of stuff. And because of that distance that he has, I do like kind of picking the brains of people that are not stuck inside our own bubble. I mean, Illini fans, we have our own bubble. Steve is not part of that. And he's got a great perspective on national sports and other topical sort of things relating to sports as well. Always enjoy speaking with him, and it's exciting to have Steve Greenberg on the 200 level. 
All right, Steve, I guess the first question I got for you is what do you write about in a time like this? Because I'm finding that when I come down here just to flip on the mics and talk about sports, that everything has the sort of, well, we don't know when the next game is going to be played. We don't know uh, the next time there's going to be the NFL draft, the NBA draft. All of it just seems so in flux that I don't even know where to begin sometimes. It's hard to know what to write about. And it's, it's uh, stressful, you know, I, 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 but I can tell you what I want to try to do, Mike, is be um, surprising, you know, thoughtful, write about something that maybe no one else would think to do right now. Um, and then there's a line there between doing something that's worth doing or just sort of self-indulgent or different for different, different sake. Uh, you know, I went to uh, last weekend over to Wrigley Field and threw a ball against the, the brick wall, kind of played catch with myself and thought maybe I'll figure out a column while I'm here. And, you know, I kind of did. And I, I heard from a lot of readers who, who appreciated it kind of took them back in a certain way. Some of the references I made to, to city of Chicago games played outside homes out in the street, they were probably played throughout, you know, Illinois and the country too. But um, that was one thing I, I tried and, and, you know, it, I, this, uh, as we talk uh, here today, last night, I haven't written it yet. I hope I don't give it away. And then someone else does it, but I, you know, I called Billy Williams. I, I just wanted to check on him. He's going to be 82 and his wife of 60 years has dementia. They're home. What are, you know, how's he doing? How's she doing? And how are they coping? And I had a really nice talk with him and I'll write a column about that for uh, Fridays or Saturdays paper. And, you know, I, I think that's worth doing, but coming up with enough things to uh, compose, you know, a, a full-time work existence during this pandemic is really hard. I don't have a beat, so I don't have that to fall back on. I'm just trying to come up with, you know, good ideas that are thoughtful that people will appreciate. Which leads me to this, Steve, because you're writing stories now, for example, the Billy Williams one that's coming up and it's a human story. And this is going to sound kind of like a, I don't know, special interest, 60 minutes sort of thing, uh, kind of question. But when you're writing as sports are going on, is it the same sort of hook that you're looking for? I mean, obviously, we don't get the games on the field right now, and we aren't having the live sporting events, but are you finding that you're still searching for the same sort of hook, uh, the human aspect of it, that you would even if the games were going on? I'd like to think so. You know, I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm not completely uh, addicted to any one sport, let alone sports in general. I don't tend to want to know everything knowable about any one team, let alone a, a, a sport, you know, in a broader sense. So yeah, I, what do I think I have that I can bring that's useful, that maybe is a little bit unique to, to me with my uh, skill set? It is that. It is talking to people and telling human stories or just coming at something from an angle that hopefully isn't tired. When I'm in a clubhouse whether it's baseball or whatever but you know let's say it is baseball even if I'm subbing for the beat writer I just really try not to follow the uh, herd the herd of reporters you know they the, the the scene if you could take yourself into a clubhouse is if there are 15 uh, reporters in there maybe 20 including the cameras 
and Anthony Rizzo turns around, then 15 or 20 reporters and cameras are going to Anthony Rizzo's uh, locker stall and talking to him right now. And I generally, if I can, whenever I can, try to use opportunities like that to peel off. It reminds me of this. Find something else, do something different. It's sometimes it's, uh, um, if not misguided, then fruitless. And, and sometimes I miss out on something important because I did that. But I try to do that. I, that's my philosophy is to, is to uh, yes, to get to know the athletes we cover in a little bit of a, maybe a more real or heartfelt, uh, relatable way. I think that's something I'm more and more able to do maybe as I get older, partly, you know, I'm just about 50 and it might just partly be because any, any kernel of, of, uh, I don't know what, hesitance or deference or anything like that. That's all gone. You know, I'm, I'm older than everybody I cover now, basically. And I, and I think that that creates a point of view just for a frame of reference or something. And I'm finding that for the most part, these, you know, the athletes respond to it. They appreciate it. If you talk to them a certain way. Um, so I don't know if I can quite explain it or if I, I don't, I probably didn't right there, but that's the way I think more and more as I get into this job and, and view it for what it is and whatever time might be left, you know, that I have in this struggling industry, I want to use it that way. I want to get to the industry at large, too. You mentioned struggling industry, which it certainly is that. Uh, but when you were talking about not following the herd, it reminded me of this story that I read from Sports Illustrated back in 98. And right now, with the absence of live sports, I'm consuming all the bulls sort of stuff that I can before we get to the Last Dance documentary. And there was an article in 98, and they kind of knew then that this was it, that at the end of every game, there'd be the media herd around Michael Jordan. And you'd even have someone like Scottie Pippen or Dennis Rodman with a complete absence of media coverage around them because everyone was just so honed in on Michael. So in your career, is there a particular instance of not following the herd that produced the most uh, interesting story off the top of your head? Was there one kind of anecdote that follows that? Uh, I don't know. You know, that's a good question. I, I don't recall specifically if it was a moment of not following the herd, but I, I think I had a, a lot of... Um, a lot of examples of that. Uh, one most recent has to do with David Ross. Um, at spring training, there was talk going around. I think people were aware, by people I mean the media who covered the Cubs in uh, Mesa, that Ross's family wasn't around and that they hadn't seen his wife, Hyla, and, and kids uh, since he'd taken the Cubs job. There was just sort of a low-grade uh, acknowledgement of it. There, were, there weren't rumors flying. People kind of weren't talking about it. And maybe that was, uh, that was you know, out of a sense of this is perhaps not our business. There's a line. There's no need to cross it right now. He'll, he'll cross it for us when he's ready or if he has something to say. But I went out there to report for some features for – for uh, an ill-fated sometime season preview magazine, because of course there has been no season. But, At least delayed. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Delayed. I, uh, but I just, you know, I asked Ross if I could, if he could give me 15 minutes at some point, he picked a day. And when he did, I just asked him about it. 
you know, I, 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 I said, I'm, I'm not looking to make you uncomfortable and I'm, I'm sure as hell I'm not trying to force anything out of you, force you to answer. You'll answer it if you want to. Maybe it's something you want to talk about. And he did. He'd been waiting to talk about it. I guess consciously or not, he'd been waiting for somebody to ask. And he had some things he wanted to spill and get off his chest. And he did. And he was divorced. Uh, and, and it hadn't been written about or discussed just because nobody asked. Maybe. And, and so I was, you know, I was willing to go there respectfully. And, uh, and he appreciated that. And he felt safe to talk about it. So he did. Maybe that's an example. And there, you know, there are many others I can, I can think of, but that's probably the most recent that, uh, you know, that, that created a story that made a big impact. Was there a moment in your career? Cause I remember back in journalism school, the biggest hurdle that I and a lot of other students had to get over was that it's okay to ask questions of people. For some reason, I always felt like I was intrusive or something, even if it was a planned interview, but was there a moment in your career that that switch sort of flipped on or do you innately have that? Is that sort of what kind of guided you into journalism in the first place? Are you referring, Mike, to hard questions or just personal questions or even just the act of, of, of questioning, you know, somebody's time? What, what, what can you, can you, I so guess yeah, in on what you mean? Yeah, sure. I guess it's kind of a tiered question and where all three could apply, but I guess for the sake of clarification, maybe just personal questions because it I, I don't think the difficulty probably would come in asking a baseball player about um, you know, how did it feel with I mean this is and this is of course a journalistic trap like so talk about how uh, how good it felt to throw seven innings right. right. But to begin probing the more personal things, was there a moment that you realized that was okay or is that sort of innate uh, in your nature that it, it came naturally to you? I see. I, yeah, that's a great question. Um, to, to answer the, 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 the last part about innate, I think to some extent, yes, it is. I've always been able to talk to people and I've always been able to sort of in my mind, switch into kind of a uh, uh, sort of switch something off to where certain conversations um, don't make me nervous. Okay, so that's 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 one thing, but that's not such a special ability that it's necessary. Um, the biggest com- key in all of this that I think is is needs to be learned especially by really young reporters is this notion of, of, a, of a hierarchy within such a, an interaction. I'm just me, you know, I'm just 22 or, or maybe even still a student. And this person in front of me is pretty famous and maybe older and maybe put upon with interview requests. And maybe I can tell he doesn't completely want to be doing this right now. And all that's making me uncomfortable. That's a mindset you have to figure out how to relieve yourself of and get out of. It's no good for anybody involved. And and it's not going to help you interview somebody and it's not going to make them enjoy the process and be comfortable and want to talk to you. Um, You've, you've got to be, you've got to be able and willing to ask and you've got to lose the idea that this person in front of you is special. They are talented and maybe famous and maybe really, really rich, but but they're not different, um, which is why during this pandemic, I, I see talk about having college athletes, you know, play football as if their safety is 
more tradable than that of the average student. And I would say the same about pro athletes. It's a, it's, it's offensive and it's, it's off base. These are regular people and you have to be able to talk to a regular person in life and you have to be able to ask an uncomfortable question as long as you get into it honestly and, and respectfully, you're not, you know, trying to gotcha somebody you're, 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 whether you use the words or not, you're asking them permission. You, you, I mean, I always let people know, you don't have to answer this. Tell me if you're uncomfortable, that's fine. We'll figure out a way to talk about it or not. And then, and, and then you go, um, you, but these are skills that are developed over time. Like every other thing anybody does in any job, it's a lot easier for me to say it now than it would have been 10 years ago, let alone 20 and more. And I'm a lot more aware of it now. So that's why, um, people, you know, who've been doing this for a while, I think really ought to, uh, be advisors, mentors, be happy to talk to student journalists, or young journalists in the field, or even just your coworkers and, you know, be there to help because these are skills that are hard to learn. And I've seen it in Illinois when I've been around student journalists and I see the nerves, the tension, you know, I want to throw my arm around them and say, Hey, you're doing fine. It's going to be fine. Keep doing it. Try, try not to sweat it. But you know, these things, maybe in some cases, they just need to be taught through experience or learned through experience. In this media climate, I was talking in the last episode on Monday, actually, I was venting some frustrations I had with local media, uh, newspaper, radio groups. And then I said, well, one silver lining is that you got this sort of new proliferation of podcasting and all these different tools with which writers and uh, commentators can get their thoughts out there without needing those larger corporate backing or even just standard newspapers. But then the other side of me kind of longs, Steve, for the institutions of newspapers and radio stations. And as someone that works at the Chicago Sun-Times, um, what has been the most disheartening change in journalism in the last, let's just even go decade, because it seems to be happening so quickly? You know, for one thing, I, I think we need to be, we being the, I guess, the, the, the print establishment, whatever you want to call it, we need to be flexible and, and willing to learn new tricks and willing to learn from, um, from our, our younger cohorts in media or, or those who are online only, or even those who are um, bloggers and aggregators, you know, we have to be uh, real about what's happening. But I, I, I think what's disappointing to me, I guess, is is the way um, the way newsrooms staffs have been squeezed, uh, the way things have been stripped away by you know corporate raiders, and it, it's like it's been done unnecessarily fast and harshly. There are people who just say, uh, you know, cynics or critics of of media. Who, who, you know, certainly non-readers of newspapers who just say, well, you're a dinosaur, you know, it's a dying industry, but not, not entirely. I don't think that's true. You know, I think there's a place for, um, in a city like Chicago for a couple of newspapers or a couple of daily uh, outlets 
and uh, and that there's something to be said for doing the job um, better uh, in, in some regards, having access that others don't have. You know, we have access. We sometimes still travel, still is at every road, Bulls, Blackhawks, Cubs, Sox, obviously Bears, no longer the colleges. You know, we don't we don't do all the Illini, for example, which is unfortunate, but that's but we're the you know, we're still there. And when you're there, when you're there every day, you get stuff, you have information that nobody else has. You just plain do whether, you know, people want to accept that or not. And, and people want that information. People want to, people want to be experts. They want to know about a team, about the, the, the team, the sport there, the league they follow. And you can't trick your way to knowing it. You can't always just assume, you know, that uh, you're going to, you're going to get it through these, not back channels, but non-newspaper channels. So anyway, I'm rambling, Mike, but I think the, the, the way, you know, a machete has been taken to certain, look at Cleveland, the plain dealer just this week. Um, you know, that newsroom was first cut by some preposterous percentage and then now the uh, Cleveland Plain Dealer is not even going to cover Cleveland. You know, it, it, it's uh, it's going to cover kind of the outlying area from a news gathering standpoint. That is an overcorrection. And there's going to be a lot lost in the process in terms of information. It just uh, It's going to be irreparable damage to what people know and how, how you know, how they learn it. Uh, I really believe that, too. I don't think we're dinosaurs to that extent that we don't serve a purpose no one else is serving. Yeah, I would agree with that. And what precipitated this whole conversation for me was uh, 670 The Score last week, uh, their midday co-host, Connor McKnight, and then a few other people, Julie DeCaro, Rick Camp, people that have been at the station for a long time got fired. And it led me to think, well, if that's happening at a station that I presume is doing okay financially relative to others, I was starting to think of people I knew down here at different radio stations and that, well, you know, things are unfortunately going to come home to roost here in Champaign-Urbana. Um, and I feel like this conversation, there's an elephant in the room where within the last three years, the, you know, the fake news mantra that has become so commonplace has only accelerated this idea that media is just this monolithic thing. You get a lot of people with a distrust in so-called media. And yet, as you put it, um, you know, for you guys at the Sun-Times in the newsroom that are covering the beats, you guys are the experts on this. And, and I feel like that all too often gets lost and it is unfortunately kind of accelerated by this hyper partisan ridiculousness that is just not based in reality. Well, I, you're, you're right now. I can't believe I answered the question without going where you just went because it's, you know, much better example than the sun times and sports is the Washington post and the New York times. They, and I, and I personally would, would rank them in that order. To me, the post has been maybe the greatest uh, uh, display of journalism in decades in covering the Trump administration and all that's going on. And uh, so you can call it fake news and, and, and disagree with uh, the intent of the media at that level, but the reporting has been more vital than you know it, it, than it has been in a long time in this country and you're not uh 
you know, you're not getting it. There are other places to go to get great reporting right now, but I've just been proud by some loose association by a flimsy association of, to be a newspaper person in this time because of it, because of it. And by the way, this is probably uh, an, an anecdote worth sharing. You know, before I worked at the Sun-Times, I worked at the Sporting News. And when I got there in 2000, it was a print job. Um, that publication had been around since 1886, the oldest sports publication in the country. And I was there as, at the time, its lead features writer for the magazine when the print publication died in 2012. I was then laid off in 2013 and a huge purge. And, and not to be vindictive, because I don't feel that way, uh, toward sporting news, but, you know, what is it now? You know, it, 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 was, it, wasn't, it wasn't in 2012, it wasn't the, the first magazine you'd grab. Everybody would have grabbed Sports Illustrated first and look what's happening there now. And then, you know, you had ESPN, the magazine, and then you had us. But but that whole um, sliver of the industry is going away. And Sports Illustrated has been compromised in even more dramatic fashion than Sporting News was. You know, Sporting News went digital only, but Sports Illustrated was more visible. Now is this shell of what it had been. ESPN, the magazine's gone. And, um, you know, you can live without holding a, a print magazine in your in your hand but what went into those publications isn't isn't existing anywhere you know that's not even online anymore um it's certainly not at si and absolutely not at, at sporting news so you know the sports on earth was doing long form but where is that now and, uh there's a whole sort of storytelling you know when there was a period where I had, when I had a contract with Bleacher Report to go around the country and do 3,000 word type, you know, do long form college basketball stories. That role uh, for Bleacher has been shut down almost entirely across the different sports. Now they're, they, and they were doing that, you know, really well at a high level and they're not. So that kind of storytelling is going away. And uh, if it goes away, uh, you know, a cynical, uh, consumer of sports media can say, well, people don't want to read long stories. They want short bites or something like that, but that's bull. And you know, it is as well as I do. I mean, if you don't have that story, those stories, you don't, you don't have uh, an art form within the industry. And, and one of those that those memorable reads that stick with you for, for life. Um, and, and those are the types of stories in which you learn the most about the people we, we watch and follow. So uh, I'm concerned about that too, for sure. Yeah, as you mentioned that, I couldn't help but think about when Martin Scorsese, after The Irishman came out, was talking about how if you gave consumers more options at the movie theater, they would go and they would watch it instead of just, you know, the typical stuff that comes from the Disney Marvel universe. Nothing wrong with that. You know, we all need that kind of uh, sort of entertainment without having to think too deeply about it. But um, I think it applies, too, for journalism. And I think about how... um, you know, you mentioned the sporting news. I remember distinctly, whether it be Walden Books or just the local grocery store. And if I recall, sporting news had that. It was a really big mat in terms of size. Like it wasn't the big like square pages almost larger than a Sports Illustrated. And it was a little more. Um, I don't know. You were there towards, I guess, the end of it. But what was the primary difference between what SI was doing and what sporting news was doing in those early 2000s? 
Well, when I got to Sporting News in 2000, I was the college football uh, editor and, and within six months added college basketball. Uh, so I oversaw those sports across all platforms, which really meant print. And then, you know, we had a, we had a website that was pretty basic and we did uh, yearbooks, uh, preseason, you know, magazines. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. So, so that, those were our platforms. Um, but uh, the, the print publication at the time, which was weekly and had been for a hundred plus years was still of a, it was kind of like, of a paper stock that um, a little better than the old parade magazine inserted papers, or if you remember, I mean, I remember as a, as a kid, the Chicago Tribune magazine. So a bunch of your listeners will remember the way that felt mm-hmm. on Sundays to that, that. It was something like that in terms of paper stock and it was, but it, but it might be a hundred pages and it was every week. So um, very thorough covered every sport every week along the way. We had a we had a uh, huge relaunch in '08. Uh, in fact, our editor of the magazine at the time was a guy named Jeff D'Alessio, who I'm pretty sure is at the uh, News, uh, Gazette. News Gazette. Yep. Now, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was my editor, uh, but uh, it was done kind of ESPN magazine style, really thick, beautiful cover in all pages and uh it was extremely ambitious and the product was awesome but for whatever reasons the center didn't hold there either and uh and then it uh, uh, eventually became every other week and then toward the very end it became something like monthly and you know the writing was on the wall people were scrambling trying to find different roles at that point you know i was behind the scenes trying to transition into being a, an online uh, college football columnist, which I, I was able to switch roles and do that for a couple seasons. Um, but, but in the end, you know, we, we just had more people than we're going to be kept on. And, and, and a lot of the old staff that dated back to the St. Louis days, St. Louis office days, because by now, uh, by 08, they, there was a move to uh, Charlotte was where the, you know, the office was relocated to um, a lot of the old gang from the St. Louis days, you know, people who made a little more money were, were all just, were all cut. And, uh, it, and it was, you know, a lot of the writers and a lot of the uh, editors overseeing certain sports. So it was real gutting of, of experience there. And, and, you know, what they've done since has become a really unrecognizable version of what it was, but there's, there's no print publication. That's for sure. And that, uh, ended a hundred and I don't know, I want to say 26 year tradition, uh, when that went away, that was really sad. Uh, and, and it was really momentous, but enough has happened elsewhere in the industry since then that it, it doesn't even really stand out anymore. It just does to those of us who work there. Well, and it would almost be a jarring thing to have a sporting news in one hand and then in your right hand on your phone, open up a barstool sports. And it's like two completely different universes and types of coverage that um, it, it probably would have been hard to predict even, you know, five years ago that something like a barstool sports would turn into this monstrous entity. And meanwhile, an institution like the sporting news is extinct. It just seems... Uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't like it. I know that much. We all, we've all had a run in 
uh, with Barstool Sports in which we were mocked as being whatever, you know, what, what somebody would call boomer now, or I don't know what, but okay, mocked, boomer, for being, <laughs> mocked for being old, un, unnecessarily old school. I don't know. But mine was during the, was covering the NCAA tournament when Northwestern made it. So out in Salt Lake City, I guess. And, and uh, I'm in the, the, the media room. Have you ever been there, Mike, at an NCAA tournament site? And you've got your media workroom. I've never, I mean, I've been to a couple NCAA tournament games. I've never been in the media. So it's, you know, it's underneath the, it's in the bowels of the stadium and it's a huge work area and it is, you know, people on top of other people trying to sit and write and transmit photos and video and all that sort of stuff. And it's a very serious workspace and uh, it's hard to keep it quiet in an arena, but that effort is made because people are working on crazy deadlines because there's a bunch of games. Anyway, I'm in this works room trying to write a column and the place is, is besieged by Northwestern fans being extremely loud, but they're Northwestern media members. They're, 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 they're media members from, you know, young all the way to old wearing friggin' purple and like, you know, Northwestern had just beaten Wake Forest. Right. And they're laughing and they're giddy. And it was really grossly unprofessional. And, and if you're someone who abides by these, you know, no cheering in the press box rules, you would see it that way. Mm-hmm. So I tweeted something. I was pretty proud of myself to take them to task and rip <laughs> on all these Northwestern people. I'm not a Northwestern person, although uh, Illinois fans generally assume I am. I've seen that, but, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I got congratulated by a bunch of people, you know, of my uh, of my co-collaborators in in, in sports writing but barstool that whole crowd and and one or more of those accounts completely made fun of me for for it and so they do that thing where they blow your face up gigantic (laughs) and then everybody you know ripped on me for uh for caring about something so stupid and and it and it even got to my son and his friends where i they were retweeting the the barstool stuff and laughing at me while i was sitting there and i was laughing it was funny to be made fun of like that but but I was right. You're not supposed to do that. No, of course not. And Does anybody it, care anymore? And it, really, I think to get that sort of press from Barstool is a badge of honor in some ways that, you know, if you're going to get lampooned by them, in some ways, I guess you could say, oh, I've made it, you know. Um, I The last couple of questions, I don't want to keep you too long, but I love this conversation we're having. It, I want to focus on, I could ask you about Lanai Sports, but we could do that. I mean, listen, who knows when games are going to start again. But that leads me more to the pandemic and its impact on, uh, sports and Major League Baseball, they unveil, or I guess they should not unveil, but word came out about an alternate plan that they had. And you had mentioned, you know, early in this conversation that you you found some of these ideas a bit offensive when we're talking about, yes, athletes, but also people that would have a right to be concerned about their own health and well-being. When you heard about this possible revised Major League Baseball situation, Arizona, 30 teams, seven-inning doubleheaders at all the spring training parks, and then essentially when the games are over, they're sequestered alone in their hotel rooms for months. Uh, what was your initial impression of that? Because it it unsettled me as much as I want sports back. Yeah, I mean, everybody wants sports back, but what are you willing to do to have it? And And I, I just can't disconnect from the feelings that I'm feeling as a, you know, father of three, college student who had to come back, and and another who's going away to school, 
supposed to in the fall, you know, kind of along the same timeline. Um, and, and, um, we've, we've, you know, we've got limited testing. We don't fully understand transmission even yet. There's no vaccine. There's certainly no cure. Um, we have, we have not real answers yet regard to antiviral medication. Um, if we, if, unless and until we have those answers, how could we play baseball or football or, or anything else? Why would anyone think that, you know, that's not a house of cards that will come down? And even if it's not, you know, I, even if it doesn't or, 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 or even if it could work, um, it's just one of those things that's really easy to, you know, to say when it's not your, when it's not you. Uh, I imagine that the, you know, players associations, if we're talking about baseball or the NFL, will have a lot of dissent and a lot of people would choose not not to play. I, not that I don't know for sure. I mean, that's one of the things you asked at the start of this, what I'm going to, you know, what, what can I write about? I'm, I'm reaching out to players. I want to ask them specific questions as we go. I don't really want to ask them yet because it just seems like too soon. We don't know a whole lot, but, um, I, I, yeah, I, I it, it's, it, it's important to me to remain employed. You know, I, I don't want to lose my job <laughs> sure. because of a sports shutdown. Um, but short of that or, or separate from that, uh, I don't need the sports so badly that I want to proliferate the spread of this or get a player sick and have a player die, you know, because, um, we needed them to go back. I feel stronger about the college kids than I do about the the pro leagues because the pro players have real means to, you know, to uh, collectively bargain and represent themselves in this. The, it's the college athletes who, you know, I find this just appalling, this idea of, of football, of what Oklahoma State coach Mike Gundy said, oh God. you know, about starting so soon. It's just, it's, it's disgusting to me. Uh, it's so, it's so inappropriate and, it's you know just way too soon. It's you know, un- among other things. It's just un- it's unintelligent. It's incurious. We you know how could anyone not want to know more at this point? Steve, I could ask you a million other questions. I will end on one Illini question because there wasn't basically a direct impact from this pandemic on the Illini basketball season. The best in waiting for this. Yeah, the best in like a decade. And I know that you would say the Sun Times doesn't have didn't have someone on the beat correct for this Illini team not on the beat no not well no not even close we, to the extent that we did it was me and I I was only down there for a couple games I went down there in the preseason and did a uh, an IO feature and I went at some point spent an hour in Underwood's office and I watched every game and I talked to Underwood now and then on the phone you know I did what I did what I could do from mostly from from here but it was insufficient but but please go on so two quick questions, one about the season that happened and then now about the season upcoming, whenever that may be and whatever this roster may look like. But um, which games did you get a chance to attend down here? Um, Minnesota, okay. Iowa. Oh, the Iowa game. OK. And I feel like there was another game, but I'm not recall- remembering which one. Maybe there maybe there wasn't. I, I don't remember, Mike, if there was another one, but uh, um I was at I was there for Iowa and I would have gone with them for the uh for the tournament. 
not, uh, yeah, it wasn't at the Big Ten, but I, I would have gone with them wherever they went in uh, the NCAAs. And unfortunately, for two rounds, if they were still going, I would have had to peel off and go to the Milwaukee for the Cubs and then and then a different sometimes writer was going to pick up Illinois from there, if it came to that. Well, to sort of frame the last month and all its, my complete loss of the concept of time, a month ago today was the Illinois-Iowa game. That was a month. Yeah. And to me, what was so exciting about that game and the way I'm trying to sugarcoat the end of the season, however abrupt it was, is you can't really ask for a better home environment or end to a regular season what Illinois had there with that game against Iowa. It felt, uh, and, and I want to get your perspective as someone a little bit on the outside looking in, I'm in my Champaign-Urbana bubble, a, a sort of a rival game for a program that has been craving that for a long time. Because the Maryland game, Michigan State game, they were disappointing home losses. I felt like the Iowa game was sort of, oh, we're back. State Farm Center felt like the Assembly Hall of old. Um, yes. And I got to imagine on press row it had to be deafening at times. I thought the atmosphere, you know, I've covered games at Cameron Indoor and Allen Fieldhouse, everywhere in the Big Ten and, you know, other major college campuses. Um, I thought that environment for that game was on a par with wherever, you know, it's at its best in the country. It it was awesome. I was truly uh, entertained and 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 had my eyes opened by it because I'd been to, you know, since starting at the Sun-Times, some several dozen, let's say, home Illinois basketball games and never experienced anything even remotely uh, like that. So I thought it was a real matter of, you know, arrival for the program or re-arrival, whatever you want to call it. And I'll say this, what's unique about college basketball is that it's the one sport, if you look at, you know, the major pro sports and college football and college basketball, it's the one of those uh, where there are many ways to approximate the experience of a championship. And it's because it's, it's re- the focus is really not on the final four on who wins the title and cuts down the nets. It's now granted there was no NCAA tournament this time, but it's having a moment and you, you know, you have a moment like that. We remember, you know, Loyola had a, had, had moments like that along the way. And so did other Cinderella's that made the final four, but you know, the first Gonzaga team didn't get to the final four, but we were, but that run to the elite eight by that original Gonzaga team sure. is still the best season. And, you know, the, I'm sure the most, the most enjoyed season in, uh, or, or moment in program history for Illinois, I think, just the experience of being good again, of winning games toward the buzzer again, of having a real moment of triumph in the home finale and all that sort of stuff. It's an approximation of, of a, of a championship. It's not, you know, it's not what maybe going to the sweet 16 would have been, you know, if they could have experienced something like that, um, it would have been the next level, but, but I do think it was not complete, but it was not incomplete. You know, uh, there was a, a great way that it ended and it, it just sort of gave it all real legitimacy. At least that, that was my view from, yeah. from the outside. So easy for me to say my heart wasn't broken specifically because Illinois didn't get to go on from there. 
but uh, what they did was, you know, was, was pretty great. And uh, I don't know, uh, you know, with Kofi, which I assume you're going to ask about mm-hmm. yeah. where it goes, but and that, that Iowa night was special. And Underwood, after the game, taking a lap around the whole lower level of the arena, having an interaction with hundreds and hundreds of individual fans and all that, and the players doing the same, pretty cool. You don't see that often. Yeah, I mean, in terms of on the court, there are a few better ways to end the season. And I had even came on come on the podcast the day after that and said, you know, there's a chance they lose their next two games and that's it. They lose in the Big Ten tournament, they lose in the NCAA tournament, and that shouldn't negate everything that happened before it. Uh, and you mentioned Kofi. You know, in this pandemic reality, news like that doesn't hit me quite as hard because, again, I don't know when these games are going to get started. And any decision made now could easily change two months from now. But... um when you heard that, and then of course the looming prospect of IO going pro, is there's good news in that you'd be sending guys to the pros, but the bad news would be that maybe this success will take a slight dip uh, going into Underwood's fourth year. Do you foresee um, long term benefits of Kofi and IO both go pro now, or is that, I guess, contingent on the coaching staff being able to get as much momentum from a shortened season that they can? I don't think there are any long-term benefits to to, to me. There are certain programs that ought to dabble in the one and done thing and certain programs that are fooling themselves when they do, or, or if that wasn't planned for in this case, you know, that it would be foolish to think this is going to help us because other recruits are going to say, Hey, we're going to go there, you know, as a potential one and done because a couple of guys did it's Illinois needs to develop players needs to be great at player development and recruiting comes first, but you look at the, the, around the big 10, you know, Michigan state's a player development program. Wisconsin's a player development program. Illinois uh, needs to hold fast to, to, to that um, going forward. So it's a loss if Kofi Coburn doesn't come back or if IO doesn't come back. Um, but it's a, you know, was it a loss worth having? Of course, uh, in the in the in the thirty thousand foot you know picture sort of view. But I'm seeing uh, sort of I'm, I, I was struck yesterday by a sort of what I thought on Twitter was kind of an outright dismissal among a lot of Illinois fans, wishful Illinois fans, about the idea that Coburn you know is NBA ready. NBA ready is very broadly defined. It really sure. means, you know, is a are there going to be teams that look at you and say we, we want him under our auspices professionally? Going, you know, we think he's a prospect and we can put him here or work with him for this long. And I, you know, I saw these a lot of dismissals of Coburn's skill set. Well, he can't shoot. I think he can. I don't know about you, Mike, but I saw him hit enough. Uh, nice looking free throws and, and, you know, 12 foot jumpers. I think for a young man as big as he is and as inexperienced as he is, that there are real signs there that he can shoot. Yeah, I'd agree. That's something that can be worked with. It would be great for Illinois to be the one to be able to have that to work with next year, Um, specifically in, you know, Kofi Coburn's case. And I would like to, th- to think he'd be better suited in the long run for, for going back. But if he doesn't want to go back, we don't know yet if that's true. It may well be true. If he doesn't want to go back, then you don't want him back. 
no good is served under under you know under that scenario. So um, I have no idea what he's going to do. Um, I'd like to see him come back, and if he's not, and Iowa's gone too, yeah, I assume it'll be a step back for Illinois. But you know, Underwood's a driven dude. I'm impressed by what he put together for this last season, and he just has to keep the pedal down keep going and uh the big Ten's not so great that you can't you know look at iowa uh, uh being competitive they don't have a bunch of nba players on that team they yeah just have yeah pieces you know they have piece offensive pieces and, and you gotta find them yeah the, the scary thing about kofi is for as inexperienced as he is how polished he was already i mean there's some flaws he had some off games but I mean, if, if that trajectory keeps up from where he was when he started basketball five years ago and he just follows that same progression, he's a team will a team will draft him, I, I think. The question, I guess, would be without combines and without evaluation periods um, and not being on draft boards right now. Right. And, and that will be something where I think within the next two months, you know, we could be in mid-June and all of a sudden Io and Kofi are coming back because they can't prove their medal at combines and workouts. But, you know, I do think... I do think the best thing that's ever happened to, to Kofi uh, Coburn is his year at Illinois. Because if you look back to when he was at Oak Hill, right? Mm-hmm. You yeah. look back at that footage, you know, he's a different looking guy, right? He's, he's much bigger. He's in much, he's in far less uh, uh, basketball condition. And what he was able to do at Illinois, that so impressed me. And this was evident, I guess, you know, throughout workouts and all that was he was able to, to to run hard. You know, I mean, I all season long, I watched these games and watched him sprint down the court while he was in the game. He didn't take trips down the court off. He kept his wind. He, he couldn't play 35 minutes. You know, that's too much for someone of that size. But he gave you 25, 26 hard playing minutes as a freshman. And for someone at that size to do that, it's it's very, very rare. I mean, you think back to like freshmen, real big freshmen in the Big Ten of recent vintage. For some reason, when I would watch Kofi, I would think back to Diamond Stone. Yeah. Everybody remembers mm-hmm. him. A freshman in Maryland who was much more of a of a Ballyhoo recruit. He could not run to play in the Big Ten. And, you know, it's no wonder to me that he's kind of crapped out since. Kofi could, and and he could because he was willing to put in the work to be able to do that. That's a, that's a gift or, or something. That's to be admired, and that bodes well for his future. Yeah, and it wouldn't be a bad parting shot. You block the Big Ten Player of the Year to seal the win at home, and that's the last memory. Um, I wish the season yeah. could have been elongated, but for what it was, I, I hope it is sort of a uh, – harbinger of things to come for Underwood and the staff. Uh, Steve, I could keep you for another hour, but I, I've already won over my time. I appreciate you hopping on. And, uh, you know, hey, long as this pandemic goes on and I'm doing interviews, I'd love to have you on again sometime. Sure. Yeah, anytime. All right, Steve, take care. Uh, stay safe. And we'll see uh, over the next, as quickly as things are changing and moving, I, I got to think within a month, uh, maybe we'll be spring training baseball as weird and Orwellian as that may look. Well, uh, there I've got uh, four or five people here who, who would love nothing more than 
for me to leave the house on a permanent <laughs> basis. But uh, I'm glad to be on with you and for everyone, you, know, you and everyone uh, listening. Yeah, everybody be well, be safe, and be smart, and think of one another. Excellent, Steve. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. All right, that was Steve Greenberg. Appreciate him coming on. It was a lot of fun to do that interview with him. And there were a lot of other questions I had, but we sort of veered into more of a sports media pandemic kind of discussion before we got into a line I step at the end. As I said before, the interview, sharp guy, um, always appreciated having him on 93.5. And cool to get his perspective now. And hopefully, not just for the sake of his family, but hopefully for the sake of sports fans everywhere, there will be baseball or just sports in general. But as we kind of agreed However that looks, you want there to be the safety of the people involved in mind and that we aren't just doing this simply to appease or entertain the masses. We'll get back there, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later, but whenever they do, I hope it is in the safest way possible. All right, it's too nice outside for me to be stuck in the basement, so I'm going to end this now. Maybe be back on Friday, but at the latest, I'd be back next Monday with another podcast. We'll keep on doing two of these a week, and we'll keep on lining up the interviews. Having a lot of fun doing them. Hope you're having fun listening to them. Got to remind you that DP Doe is online for orders at dpdoe.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. And 4th and Kirby, use coupon code 200LEVEL at 4thandkirby.com. Got to thank Alana Inquirer, Champagne Showers Podcast Network, and until next time, we'll see you. It's the 200 level. <laughs>